All right, today is a special episode of the podcast because Lloyd Price is our guest. You may remember he was supposed to be here January 2016. I played about an hour of his music on my show and he got lost and couldn't find the station. So here we are a little while later, almost a couple years later, and uh, he's got a new album out and we'll talk about it in the in the interview. And they said he wanted to come by, so he did, came by in person, he made it, he got here about a half hour early, so instead of having him on for an hour, we had him on for a little more than an hour and a half, and uh, very luckily Rex, my colleague who comes after me uh, Saturday mornings on WFMU, stuck around and uh, was quite helpful and and fun and just helped me lighten the the whole atmosphere, it was great, so it was a special thanks to Rex, my co-host on this entire interview. Uh, I thought this was great. Uh, just the nicest guy, funny, and, uh, you know, warm, and a fantastic memory. 84 years old. The guy remembers everything. Here's great. Here's better than I do. So, this was just really super fun, and I hope that's communicated in the interview. I hope so. Uh, a lot of great stuff coming up. Check WFMU.org slash Michael for the list of upcoming guests. Really some good stuff, including Chris Difford from Squeeze and uh, and what else? Glenn Dicker, the uh, guy who runs Yep Rock Records, is coming up. Uh, the Crystal Robots, Matt Lucas, etc. Uh, anyways, this is long enough. I'll shut up. Here is the great Mr. Personality, Lloyd Price. Ain't that just like a woman from uh, Lloyd Price? Sounding a lot like Lloyd Price, as Lloyd Price pointed out, uh, because he showed up just a little bit early. Mr. Price, good morning, and uh, welcome to WF. <laughs> How are you? Thank you, Mike. I am great. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm thrilled to see you, and uh, I know the audience is, has been looking forward to this, and uh, Rex joins us over in the third chair. How are you doing, Rex? I'm okay. I, I got you. You got me here? I do, yeah. I, think I, had, I had to be here because it's an R&B legend <laughs> and a Cracker Jack bowler. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do it this afternoon. Oh, really? You're going to go bowling? In Fairfield, Connecticut. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Are you in a, on a team, in a league? Well, this is a league. It's a three-man uh, three team. Oh, that's so... Today. So every week you're bowling? Every week, Mondays and, and Saturdays. Is that the secret to uh, <laughs> longevity? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. It could be. I've been doing it since I was nine years old. Oh, Rex, was, didn't you, did you work in a bowling alley? I did. Yeah. So, I was a pin boy. So you, you know it backwards. Rex was pointing out, you look exactly like the photo on these <laughs> old records we've got here. I mean, you haven't <laughs> changed a bit. Something about bowling. You threw a 300, too, right? Six. Six 300s. Oh, yeah. Wow. yeah. Uh, but it took 60 years. <laughs> <laughs> My daughter loves to go bowling, and we go, and, you know, I, we're not terrible, but there's those guys who throw the ball, and it kind of goes all the way over almost into the gutter, and then right back. You know, it's like, how do you do oh, that? Oh, that spin. The yes, English. that spin thing. Is that yeah. what you do? You spin it so it's e- like- Well, it's kind of. You know what? It, it's an underhand game. It's just like if you're playing softball. That's how you do it. 
and why a lot of folks get it in the gutter. They try to help the ball if you just let it roll off of those two fingers. Uh. Yeah, but and then again, it it comes in your head. You can't hold the ball, but you can. Uh. And you just let it roll off your hand, and it get out. <laughs> yeah, well, easy for you to say. We should let, let the listeners know you have your own line of bowling balls, too. Yes, well, they're not on the rack right now, but we had them uh, in most of the tournaments in Vegas, wow. Reno, and uh, whenever there was a major tournament, we'll sell them. The Lloyd Price ball, the yes. signature model. Well, actually, it was Lord and Miss Claudia. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's your sort of brand name, Exactly, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've got, you've got, and not, no pun intended, you've got your fingers in everything. I mean, there's Lloyd Price everything, uh, breakfast cereal and granola and uh, cookies and all kinds of stuff. You Sweet potato cookies. Yes, yeah, sweet potato cookies, yeah. <laughs> that was Did you try. bring any? <laughs> no? okay. Actually, we ran up because we had them in Walmart in the five southern states and the uh, Walmart superstores. They got a new buyer, and they want to give more cookies. We had 12 cookies in the bag, one-ounce cookies, great cookies. They want to reduce the size and put 16 in the bag. I don't know how I can do that because potatoes are very expensive. Uh. Potato chips, we make them out of. But we're thinking about how to do that. Huh. Because it's a great product. Well, Walmart is a big deal, right? The America's biggest retailer. I may imagine you sell well, actually, a lot of cookies. Yeah? Actually, they were. It's now Amazon. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah oh, wow. Amazon. Could you imagine? Amazon, <laughs> bigger than Walmart, and Walmart does like four billion transactions a day. Oh, yeah. And you've got a big entre- entrepreneurial background. Your, your folks had a, a grocery store, right? A fish. M- a fish shop. My wow. mother, she sold sandwiches. Uh-huh. I would imagine that's where my motivation came from, because... I'm never just comfortable, you know, doing nothing. <laughs> well, I, I think that's right. You, From an early age, you were always hustling jobs, working all the time, playing music. Uh, we got we got to call New Orleans in a minute, but I want to ask you one question. I've read two different stories, both this morning. Dave Bartholomew walked into the fish shop and heard you singing, and then another one was a DJ recommended you to Dave Bartholomew, which is true. Dave Bartholomew. But but how did how did you how did he get together? Well, Dave used to play all the proms, and there was one place oh. in my town in Kenner, Louisiana, seven miles north of uh, New Orleans. He'd play all the dances, <clears throat> you know. Say so I st- I would sneak in and try to listen to him from a little small kid. And one day, this this jockey came on air. His name was Okie Dokie Smith. He was, he was the first black jockey I recognized. On WBOK. WBOK. That's absolutely correct. He said, Lord and Miss Claudia, eat your mother's homemade pies and drink Maxwell's coffee. Well, that Lord and Miss Claudia stuck in my head. And this day, <clears throat> I, I never knew Dave, you know, because Dave was the biggest band leader in New Orleans. I was trying to make a song out of Lord and Miss Claudia, and he walked in. Wow. He said, you know, there's a guy coming down from Hollywood. His name is Art Roop. He got specialty records, a gospel label. And I think he just as had Percy Mayfield had, uh, had sent me someone to love. He said, but he wanted to switch to a younger set. Uh, j- he just wanted to try something different because Fats Domino had the fat man yeah. burning up. So everybody sent their talent scouts down to New Orleans to get the next guy. Absolutely. The next, yeah. the next Fats. And I was a young guy in... Dave happened to walk in the shop and heard me doing this. He said, you know, we could make a record out of that. And that's how it happened. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to the joke, all fire and no smoke. 
Oh, Let yeah. Okie dokie. <laughs> was that his Abs- Yeah, yeah. He was a rhyme guy. You know, I think he kind of started personality. Well, not really, but on, on the black side, he was the man. Huh. Uh, this is one of the things that reading the story is, uh, is that it's before rock and roll. You know, it's 1950. It's not 1956. You know, it's before there was any rock and roll that there was still this huge scene happening. And well, three years uh, before anybody got a hold of the music, it was just me. Uh, from Monday to Sunday, you could not get in. Uh, I was the Beatles, Michael Jackson, the Rollers. I, I was everything in one. And we had a young band, all young kids. And so people wanted to Hold see up. that. And we, we didn't know what we was doing. You know, It took a long time to figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Lloyd Price, I got one very important question. Have you ever heard of, uh, uh, we're talking about famous DJs here. Have you ever heard of the famous DJ Toddophonic Todd? Tadaphonic Todd. <laughs> yeah, have you ever heard of him? No. Yeah. Well, that's not a, a huge surprise. He's <laughs> he's not quite the rhyming guy, but he is Mr. Personality, and he joins us on the phone live from New Orleans, hey. your hometown. Hey, you doing, Tadaphonic hey. Todd? Hey, Lloyd, I'm I'm good pal with your friends Jerry Blavitt. Hey, the heater, <laughs> the heater with the heater. <laughs> yeah, also with the hot sauce. How you doing, Matad? I'm doing good. You should be happy you're in New Jersey and not on the corner of Rampart and Dumaine. We got a bit of a uh, hurricane uh, warning here, but uh, so we're not going to do the live remote that we plan to do, but we're having a party at the hotel instead. If anybody's out here, noon to five, and we'll keep playing records till later. The Mummies, the Stompin' Riff Raffs, Evie Sands, Johnny Knight, Low Straight Jackets, you name them, they'll be playing in the lobby of the hotel today. What hotel is it, Todd? That is the Ace Hotel, 600 Carondelet Street in so, the Warehouse District. So the second night of, of uh, the Ponderosa Stomp Festival. Yeah, the, may, the mayor placed a mandatory curfew uh, starting at 6 p.m. So tonight. In, in, all of oh, New, wow. in all of New Orleans, everyone has to be inside by 6 p.m.? That is correct. Amazing. Well, that's... I spoke to my nephew last night, and he's, he lives in Laplace, and he mm-hmm. said that that it was going to miss New Orleans. Yeah. Everything was good. Uh. Yeah, well, you know what happened? The French Quarter got flooded in, uh, in early August, and there was no um, warning. So now they, uh, they, they went and aired on the side of caution. And, uh, you know, I wish uh, they had waited until today because maybe this wasn't necessary. We could have done it, but unfortunately... Uh, it's not an option. I guess better safe than sorry is the yeah. the motto in New Orleans. Well, we're sorry we're going to miss your live broadcast uh, and all those guests, but uh, how was the show last night? The show last night was fantastic. One of the best uh, stomp nights. The uh, 13th floor elevator set by Rocky Erickson was amazing. Uh, the Gories crushed it. Uh, Winfield Parker, a former guest of the Michael Shelley show. That's Michael, right. I wish you had been there. He um, uh, he tore down the house with ah. the version of a change is going to come. And Winfield Park. The uh, he must be the sharp dressed man that Zeke Top <laughs> was singing about. Oh wow! Well, I like people who bring it. Uh, well, we'll see you back here next week. I, I mean, is everyone going to get out of there safely? Because we're like, going to do the best. Yeah, some people are sticking with their flights. Some people trying to move it up. Before I go, can I quickly ask Lloyd Price one question? Sure. Where you at? Where you at? Where you at? Where you at? <laughs> Take care, guys. Thank you, Todd. Thank you, be Thank s- you Todd. Be safe. Say hi to everybody You're welcome, down there. Lloyd. Thanks, Michael. Bye. Like, like half of our staff was down there, and uh, 
and this is a huge deal that this thing is canceled and uh, that they've all got to stay inside after 6 p.m. Yeah, uh, I was going to have the day off. Yeah, you were supposed to. Your <laughs> show was supposed to be in. preempted. Yeah, not so fast. Uh, so, I mean. First of all, you have a new album out called This Is Rock and Roll, and I definitely want to play a track off of that later. And uh, we're talking to Lloyd Price, Lloyd Price here, LloydMissClaudy.com or LloydPriceMusic.com are two places folks can go for information about you. So Lottie Miss Claudie, number one R&B charts, uh, Just Because, number three on the R&B charts, Staggerly, number one on the real charts and the R&B, well, the top 40 charts, and Personality, number one on both charts also. I mean, two number one hits. And you're sitting right here. <laughs> I mean, like you said, you. I mean, you were huge. You were huge as, as, as can be. So you're born in Canada. Oh, also, I read your book, Some Dumb Honky, which was a pretty serious book. And uh, so I want to talk about all of this stuff. Born in Kenner, Louisiana, eight of eleven kids. Right. That's right. What is that like? I mean, I assume. I mean, it's a long time ago. Times were totally different. What was it like? Well, being number eight, you know, out of eleven, you ate like this. <laughs> you kind of get the, the whiff and essence yeah, of the food. Right. Yeah. Past the empty plate. Somebody had to say, breathe. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was it was fun. You know, I, I had, uh, it was eight boys and three girls. And we just had a lot of fun. Living in little houses, you know, it was no, no big deal then. And, so you uh, slept in a bed with a bunch of your brothers? We had a bedroom. My sisters had a bedroom, and then there was a three-bedroom house. My father and mother had a bedroom. So we slept on the floor on top of each other. We slept (laughs) (laughs) wherever we could. (laughs) And one night, I think I might have been 14 years old. You know, we had uh, uh, 10 roofs. Okay. And when the nail come out, the light would come through the ceiling, and if there's a crack anywhere in the house, it, you see the light. And I, I said, you know, I got to get out of here. So I said, Lord, I don't know nothing about no praying. This is when I was about 16. But you got to get me out of here. And then, Lord, Miss Claudia, eat your mother's homemade pies. <laughs> Okey-dokey. Okey-dokey. So the light went off. Yeah, the light. And boom. Although it's been shining ever since. <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah, well, you do. It's funny because in your book, in, in the Some Dumb Hunky book, I mean, it's a book where you talk about all the horrible things that happened to the African-American people, that whole community, the way uh, you were treated, especially by this one mean, terrible police man. Jake. Yeah. Uh, but at the end of the book, you kind of say that your life was a miracle in, in some way. You well, know? no question about it. After going to Africa and coming back, to America, this was all, everything we was doing here was small problems compared uh. to what was going on in Africa. I mean, it was absolutely horrible. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, so your dad was longshoreman, your mom ran a restaurant, but 11 kids. So you, I mean, I assume you weren't rich, but you, you probably weren't the poorest of, of people. No, uh, I never, everybody say this, but I never, well, if you don't know what poor is, you know, you can't say you know you never recognize it but we live we live pretty good we all ate we had three meals a day we had clean clothes we went to school we just thought it was normal the, the way we live and it was not segregated we had a white we lived between two white families huh. but that's the way it was in the entire area where i live white black white black 
we all knew each other. We played with each other until we, about 16. You know, when you start feeling it, you know, easing up. You know, the relationship. Were schools we segregated? Schools were absolutely segregated. Our house was right across the street from the white high school. On after school, we played ball, black and white. We all played ball on a weekend. We all played ball on that campus. But during the week, you couldn't go on the campus. Uh, yeah. So mm-hmm. how far did you walk to high school? Even though there was a high school across the three street, three miles. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Step across the street. Right. <laughs> right. Three miles. Yeah. Well, that's crazy. Uh, so you say in the book that. Uh, in the 30s and 40s in Kenner, that black people were thought of as less than nothing. Yeah, because a dog, a black dog, could walk in the front of a white church, and he was petted on top of the head. <laughs> a black guy walking, they get hit on top of the head. It was incredible. It put yeah. you out. Yeah, uh, and I think that has a lot to do with maybe what, why you have such drive, you know, to... Perhaps so, because, you know, um, I don't know if... I could ever explain to you being a second-class citizenship. No. You know, no. where my father lived his whole life not knowing what manhood was with 11 kids. And when Lord and Miss Claudia had, I took him around the country. And it was all the same practically everywhere. New York was just a little bit better than Kendall, Louisiana. L.A. was probably worse, you know, and that kind of stuff. Hmm. Vegas, I, nobody was in. There was one hotel in Vegas well, in 1953, when I took him to Vegas, and the cowboy, you know, the one big cowboy to Golden Nugget? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the only big hotel out there. It was only downtown. It was no strip no, wow. there. And uh, we th- threw us out of there. Uh, wow. <laughs> in 1953. Wow. And me being the biggest star in America. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's Man. crazy. Uh yeah, I mean, it's, like you said, there's no way I will ever, <laughs> ever know. But uh, so your dad broke his hip, right? Yes, he did. And so you had to go to work at age ten. Yeah, I was working in a bowling alley. Huh. Yeah, racking so pins. What does that pay? <laughs> Nine dollars and sixty cents a week. <laughs> Nine sixty. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But if you think back, uh, the minimum wage at that time I think was fifty-five or sixty-five cents an hour. So. That was pretty good for a kid. Plus, I was working on an ice truck every morning. Oh, he'd give me what he called four bits, 50 cents, wow. f- to work two hours. So you're hauling giant cubes of ice? 10 around? pounds, 15 pounds of ice. Did there you yell no out to people? Ice man. No, ice? no, no. There was a regular lift. Oh, okay. There so was no refrigeration. Yeah. You know, there was hardly any electric, you know. So they had what they call an ice box. And I dropped that ice in a box for two hours or so and, and go to school. So would you just walk in the back door of the yeah, house? Yeah, they'd leave the door yeah, open. Yeah, leave the door open. When yeah. I was a kid, we had a milkman, and we left. He walked in a hot summer day. He wouldn't leave the milk outside. He would walk in, put it in the refrigerator. The same know? thing. Yeah. Same thing. And yes. I grew up in Westchester. Not <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, that's an amazing time of life. I mean, was it, it wasn't a horse-drawn thing, was it? Well, they had horses, yeah. It was absolutely. They had wagon and, and mules and... Horses pulling because, you know, right after the war, it was only, I think, um, there was two colors of cars here. There was no red, red, white, you know. You know, it was dark. Look, everything was dark. Yeah. (laughs) Because, you know, you turn the the lights went off at night because of the war. And Lord and Miss Claudia hit seven years after the war. So we were still in that period, you know, trying to come back. Yeah. 
and why the record I believe was such a monster, we had over 500,000, maybe a million single women who had lost <laughs> their husbands, mm. and it was beginning to come out. And I believe to this day, that's what started rock and roll. Uh, I, th I think you're right. Also, all those kids born, I mean, all the servicemen came back and Absolutely. had babies, and then all, all those teenagers and, you know, kids needed something to do. And the explosion of independent record labels like he, Specialty absolutely. and Imperial. Well, there was no record. You know, Specialty, and then it was Peacock, Don Roby. He yeah. had uh, Peacock and Duke, where Johnny Ace, the Big Mama, Gatemouth Brown. And then there was Imperial, who just started. Yeah. Lou Chud with Fats Domino. And Art Ruby's specialty records. There was Decca and Aladdin. But they didn't record. If you didn't have a degree, you didn't get recorded. They didn't record people like me. You know, Capitol. And they had Nat Cole. But Nat Cole was a European label. It belonged to uh, EMI at that time. So he was never uh, an American recording artist, Nat Cole. Hmm. So the, the yeah, so the Indies smelled this vacuum in the market, and they sent people running down the there. Entrepreneurs who could yeah. pay for the session, sure, because people bought records and they needed these records. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I I don't know how you started to play the piano. Where did uh, where was there a piano in your house? It was. It was a piano in our house. Everybody had a piano, and mostly anybody in the house could play it. Huh. I couldn't play a piano. My brother Julius, when he went into service, he left me two flugel, a trumpet and a flugelhorn. I didn't weigh nothing. I weighed 80 pounds. I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> no air? Flugelhorn's a weird one, too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no air. You know, I had no armature. I had nothing. But this piano was always there. And then I started hearing WLAC in Nashville, Tennessee, and I found out I had a love for music. And I stopped playing and my idol was Professor Longhair. I had heard him play, and he would boom, dang, dang, and then gong, 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 gong. Yeah. See, I could play that. <laughs> and I found myself finding the right key and playing it. Wow. And that started me on the road to trying to learn how to play piano. So that, you just walked up there and started doing no lessons, no... Nothing. Nothing. Wow. <laughs> that's incredible. And then, of course, you immediately, because you're Lloyd Price, you immediately just started writing songs, right? Well, after, after Lord of Miss Claudia, I had this little girl called Nellie, Nellie Dukes. She <laughs> left me. Oh. That's really Lord of Miss Claudia. Oh. And I, instead of saying her name, I said Lord of Miss Claudia. Lord and Lord and <laughs> Where's Nellie today? I think Nellie passed away about 10 years ago. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so, Lord of Miss Claudia is 1952, I believe. Right. And it's your, is it, am I right that it's your very first session? Your first professional session for a specialty? Never had been in the studio. Never knew nothing about no playback, a microphone, huh. anything like wow. that. So how long did so you go? It's I assume it's Cosmo Matassas. That's right. And you're J and M. And how many microphones did they use? Do you remember? I mean, it's a long time. I know it was like uh, four horns. Lee Allen was one of the horns. Herbert Hardister, Earl Palmer was on the drums. And uh, is it Fats Ernest McLean was the Ernest guitarist? McLean, yeah, on, McLean on the guitar, uh -huh. that's right. And is Fats Domino on the piano or you? No, there was a guy called Savado Doucette on the piano. Great name. And as we tried to get the song together, find out what key it was, I didn't know none of that, Fats Domino walked in. Oh. <laughs> so Dave Bartholomew said, Fats, get your big fat <laughs> so-and-so over there on the piano and see what key Lord is singing this in. Oh. And he got on the piano in that introduction you hear. Yeah. He kept playing that. He said, sing. 
<laughs> it's kind of interesting to note that Dave Bartholomew and Fats Domino were with Imperial Records at that time. Well, Dave was like the first A&R black guy, him and Paul Gayton yeah. in New Orleans. You know, it was Paul Gayton and Anna Laurie. Paul Gayton was the first guy uh, that was looking for young black talent. But Dave Bartholomew was the guy who found it. He found Fats Domino. And so Fats is on fire. I know who he is. He comes in. I, I'm scared to death. I'm from a little town out in Kenna. All these guys, they, I don't know them. Art Root, he's in the booth, a little glass like this. You can hardly see through it with Cosmo. So Dave told me to sing, and I just start singing. He said, no, you got to get over there on the mic. Go behind that <laughs> curtain. <laughs> <laughs> you found I, the mic now. Uh, yeah, I'm behind the curtain. You were green. I mean, wow. I mean, terribly green. Yeah. So I kept repeating the verses. Lordy, 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 Miss Claudia, girl, you sure look good to me. I'm a tell, tell my, and I kept, re he said, you got to change it. Sang three different lyrics. So I ad lip the three verses. Oh. He said, stop, let Fats do that introduction again. And then you come back and sing three times, only three times <laughs> and out. So, and I start saying things that I'm going to tell, tell mama things I knew about, you know. And uh, you're wheeling and you're rocking, which was hip at that time. Girl, you're so fine, you're wheeling and you're rocking. <laughs> Solid, Jack. <laughs> <coughs> now, Cosimo Matassa has become sort of a legendary engineer, producer. What was that, it like working with him? That's absolutely correct, because Cos, he's the first guy that allowed black and white musicians to come in his studio. The room was not half this big. I mean, you was bumping into, <laughs> you bumping into each other. Well, it's hard to think of another studio with a higher success rate. I mean, everything that came out of that place for years and years and years. Oh man, great! And the Hall of Fame should have been in New Orleans. <laughs> I never agreed with it being in Cleveland. Amen. Because New Orleans started this whole track, huh. you know, with Fats and Lord and Miss Claudia, Professor Longhair, Smiley Lewis, Little Richard, Shirley and Lee. Walking with Mr. Lee, Frankie Ford, I mean, you name And I'm not talking about Louis Armstrong and Al Hurt and all those. I mean, it really came from New Orleans. Only guy I know coming out of Cleveland is Beat Loaf and O.J. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Screaming Jay Hawkins, one other. He's but, from Cleveland? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, I read somewhere that Art Roop told uh, Cosmo Matassa his only direction he gave him was that the vocals had to be up front. And they, they certainly, they're super present in that record. Yeah, our group, you know, he just turned 100 last week. Wow. Still living. Wow. Yeah, he's in Monterey, California. Wow, is he still <laughs> cashing a lot of big checks? Uh? He, well, what he does, his wife died with Alzheimer's. Huh. He gives out 100 uh, 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 scholarships? scholarships every year to young girls who want to go and study how to cure Alzheimer's. Oh, that's amazing. Wow. Yeah, he does. And she it. lived here in New Jersey, right? For some, no, some He lived time. in Pennsylvania. No, no uh, his wife. I thought she was in Jersey for uh, a while. Well, he had two wives. Okay. Lee and Dorothy. Okay. Dorothy was the last wife he had. Right. Now, mm. she could have been from here. Right. Because I think Lee Root was from California. Okay. Uh, mm. I want to remind everybody, Lloyd Price is our guest. Look, I, I don't... It's never polite to talk about money, but when... Someone uses Lottie Miss Claudia or, or one of the specialty tracks in a movie. Do they have to check with you? Do you get any money? Is it 
do you, you know, is, how, is, how does that work all these years later? Well, Sony is now the administrator of the catalog, but they do have to check, and if they want to change the lyric or anything like that, I have to approve it. Yeah, I'm still the writer, and uh, Sony is the administrator. So they own the masters and... No, Concord own the masters. You know, it's two different things. Gotcha, sure. Yeah. So mm-hmm. Con- yeah, so Concord put out uh, all of the... Re- they did a good job reissuing all those specialty right. tracks. Yeah, and so they're, yeah. they're very out there, very all these uh, different takes and stuff. And it's fun to listen to those because you can kind of hear the musicians talking a little bit <laughs> and uh, trying to get the song together, you know? Like Absolutely. You yeah. So you would go in there, and it's not like today where the clock is ticking, it sounds like. It sounds like very loose and everybody pitching in to try to arrange the songs. Yeah, because everybody was in the room. Ah, right. You know, now you could do 10,000 tracks. You know? <laughs> <laughs> sure. The bass player's in L.A. And on you know, an yeah. iPad. <laughs> yeah, right. Now, what happened then, if somebody made a mistake, everybody made a mistake. All the horns, the rhythm section, the vocal, all happened at one time. Everybody heard the same count off. <laughs> and that's how it was. Huh. And one little tape about that size. Huh. And if you made a, a mistake... You almost get more of an organic appeal... When you got to do it in one take. We That's have right. all this technology now, but the music, you know, and, and that little tiny studio of Cosmos, was, it's so vital, and people love it today, and it has this energy to it. No question about it. It was, it, it was like performing live. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. You had to get it right, and they call it a miracle. You only get it right one time. And you're there <laughs> to feed off of each other. And yeah, I mean, you could feel that. Yeah. But today, you might send... The song in and the keyboard player play his part, and then the drummer plays his part, and the guitar player, if yeah. there's a guitar, most all of it dies desktop. Yeah. So one guy can do the whole thing. But you don't get that feeling. You don't get that real feeling of performing. No, there's no way to recreate that unless you do it. Yeah. Unless you do it live. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's hear a, a song, if you don't mind. How about the Chicken and the Bop? Oh, boy. <laughs> kind of a, a crazy one, a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Do you remember? I mean, do you... Do I do remember. Yeah. that. I recorded that in Washington, D.C. On your own label. That's right. Yeah. On KRC. Huh. All right. Let's hear it. We'll be back with more Lloyd Price right after this. The other night I gotta say that things was right Blues was swinging and the chicks were there Gotta admit it was a crazy affair They did the chicken and the bop And they all started clapping for more Saw Jim Danny in his feather suit Man, that cat show was loaded with loot And all the girls, they gathered round Took Jim's money and ran him out of town The chicken and the pop And they all started clapping for more Now only one thing was wrong in there Place was crowded, couldn't find no chair And everybody started sitting on the trunk You know how it is in a honky-tonk They did the chicken and the pop And they all started clapping for more She was on the scene Man, that gal, she sure was clean Shoes up, diamonds all laced in gold I gotta say 
she really moved my soul She did the chicken and the pop And they all started clapping for more There you go, Lloyd Price. Uh, Woo! So how does that sound? Is that fun to hear that? That sounds so good. There's a lot know? of energy in that. I mean, a lot of your records just <laughs> jump out of the speakers there. Uh, so when you are, uh, when you become hugely successful, how old were you? You were a teenager. Twenty, twenty-seven, maybe. So uh, I, you, I, I remember reading the book. You had a hard time. Fi- you wanted to find an accountant, right? You did not know what to do with the money or how to deal with it. That was the Lord of His Quality days. I, I was told I needed to find a, a CPA. Now, what was that? What? <laughs> <laughs> I never had heard of taxes. Black people didn't have bank accounts. Where I lived, the white bank was on the airline highway. I mean, it was that kind of thing. We, there was not even necessary for us to know that. Nobody had no money. <laughs> you <laughs> so, need money to have an account, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So when I started making, my father was making $75 a week. And when Laudamus Claudia hit, the first two weeks, I got $100 a uh, $50 a night at the dew drop. Well, that was uh, nearly $300 a week there. Uh, $200 a week almost. And then the next month, I got $100 a night for 30 nights. You know, and it just kept going and going and going. So it was suggested to me that you're going to need a CPA. What were you doing with the money? You can't put that under I was, a mattress. I had bought it. I bought My brother had left a car. He had left a 49 Roadmaster Buick. I could hardly see over the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> and the notes was only $22 a month. That's one of the reasons why I was working. I had to pay the note on the car to keep the car. And uh, he had went to career. So when this record hit, I didn't know anything about no money. My father and mother, they knew... For what? They didn't have to know that, you know. <laughs> they never heard of contracts or anything like that. So I kept the money in the car, in the trunk. <laughs> wow. Right next to the spare tire? Yeah. <laughs> Your safe deposit box was a <laughs> trunk of a car. Behind the spare. Uh. Yeah. I had no idea about this. And it kept going and going and going. And after Lord and Miss Claudia, the next four records I put out, Oh, 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 Rest His Heart, I Wish Your Picture Was You, was all hits. And by, at that time, skating was the big, big deal. Kids found out they could skate to this music. I don't know how they found that out. They could skate to that music. Skating rings was going up everywhere. Oh, I'd love to see a bunch of kids skating to oh, oh, oh. You got that beat. <laughs> yeah. That beat, I mean, it, I was a skater. You know, <laughs> so it was absolutely fun. And what got the white kids interested, they started playing it in the skating rings. Mm. And... Man, and the only place that I saw white kids and black kids, I played skating rings. That was that they set up a stage in there and we played. 
the white kids would stay for the dance, you know, and I was watching this mixing thing, and that's what got me in the Army. I was drafted by Richard Russell. He was the, he was the Dixocrat, but he was the chairman of the uh, service committee, armed service committee. And when I went to my draft boat, when they called me, I should have got a deferment. I had five brothers in the service. Legally, there should have been only four taken from a family. Right. I had five. They wouldn't take my fifth brother, the one who gave me the flu horns, because he had to go in the Coast Guard. He could not go in the military service. So when they draft me, it was... Just to get you out of town? To get me off the road, yes. And uh, I, at that time, at high a lawyer, Charles Levy, he came down. I was a, I had gotten signed with Don Roby, Buffalo Booking Agency. He and Miss Evelyn Johnson, they all came to the draft board. Said, this man, it's illegal to take this man in the Army. And she said, I'm following orders. <clears throat> I got orders from the chairman in Washington, D.C., Senator Richard Russell, that he needs to go in the Army. He's integrating. He's got black kids and white kids mixing this crazy music, this stuff that they're doing. <laughs> You know, get him out of here. They give me, he said, then he should get a deferment. I had, all of this is new. I'd never heard any of this language. A deferment. So the deferment, you know, that meant that this should give me more time. So she gave me 30 days after the first draft. Said, and he went back, said he needs more than that. He's got bookings and dates and stuff he's got to do. You got to give him at least 90 days to get his business straight. They wouldn't give it to me. I had to report back, and on, on, on the 13th of November, 1953, I was a soldier. That's, and you served for about two years, right? I served 23 months and 13 years. <laughs> Who's counting? Oh, they boy. kept me into the last minute. So, so what did you do? What was your Army life? Well, when I got to Camp Drake in Tokyo, after, I think, 12 or 13 days on the water, first of all, they discovered I was on a ship. I had to do a ship for the civilians and the soldiers. They put a band together, got enough musicians on the ship, did a show in the middle of the ocean. I'm scared to death. I don't know what I'm doing. So the first thing I heard when I get to Camp Drake in Tokyo, where we, uh, uh, whatever they do, check you in, whatever, as a soldier. And by the time I went over to the PX, the first record I heard was Lord and Miss Claudia. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Wow. Because I'm... My mind was always thinking local. You know, I'm in Louisiana. I know we could go over to Mississippi or Florida. So I was booked down that way before I went. And then I'd been to New York. I had heard the record, but I never thought I'd hear it in Japan. Man. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then when I got to Korea, it was the same thing. So they put me in special service because the captain, who was my uh, commanding officer there, wanted to know why everybody knows me. I didn't know why they knew me. <laughs> so, well, beef, peeling potatoes or shooting a gun. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I was in the line company. <laughs> and when the captain called me to his office, he said, I've heard of the Andrews sisters. <laughs> I've heard of Ben Crosby, Bob Hope. You know, he was telling me to be. I heard of Glenn Melababa. Squaresville. I, yeah. <laughs> I never heard of uh, nobody named Lloyd Price. <laughs> That's Boy, Lloyd, it's just heartbreaking to hear you talk about how, why you got drafted and to think that this jo joyous, glorious music that brought all these kids together was so threatening back then to so Wasn't many that people. Amazing? Yeah. Unbelievable. Just astonishing. 
it, I, I just said, oh, I never seen somebody mad dancing. I, yeah. I never, th- these kids was having fun. And that was why I was drafted in the service. So you you got this one song, Ay Ay Ga Menosai. Ay Ay Go Menosai. Did you pick up Japanese? I did. So how much? I, because I was working in Japan, and that means I'm sorry. That's Ay Ay Ay. Go Menosai to, to your girlfriend. And I thought it would work here when I got back, but it didn't. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> that was a great song, great record, yeah. Yeah. You didn't come anything. Don't go like you know, huh? You didn't come up with anything like the the army sucks, the army's terrible. <laughs> you know what? No, I, I didn't do that <laughs> because actually, after I got in special service, I was assigned to the adjutant's office with all bunch of young lawyers, and they asked me, "What did I do? What makes you so popular over here in Korea?" And I told them, you know, there was a guy named Eddie Snare, had a magazine called. The Rhythm and Blues magazine, the first black magazine. I'd been on the cover of that magazine maybe three times. And Eddie Snare is kind of the guy who recommended me for special service. And so I was with these lawyers. They didn't have no branch called special service in the service. <clears throat> they changed my MOS from a lineman to a clerk typist. You know, give me an 07300. I never <laughs> turned on the typewriter. Never <laughs> sit there. <laughs> but... I put together such a great show for the for the soldiers from Incheon all the way up to the 38th parallel. We would entertain some division or some company every day. I had to do a 45 a 45 minute show every day. Huh. And that's how Stagger Lee came about. I wanted to do something different for the field grade officers and the generals. So, I was trying to get out of the Army. They put me in the hospital in Seoul, Korea. And I was looking out the window one night, and the moon was just as bright. And from there was no trees, just like going on right now in Puerto Rico. There was no foliage on the trees because of the bombs and stuff like that. Just blay. I mean, nothing. So I said, the night was clear, and the moon was yellow. There was no leaves. And the leaves came dumbling down. And where did I get Bulldog from? That's all we had in Louisiana. I was standing on the corner when I heard about Bulldog. (laughs) Made it all up. (laughs) And it was a B-side when I got out of the service when ABC called me. It was, they asked me, did I have anything that I wanted to record after just because? I said, yeah, I got a great song called You Need Love. Because I had heard Clyde McFadden and the Drifters, who was one of the lead singers with Billy Ward and the Dominoes. I just loved the way he sung. So I tried to write this song like Clyde McFadden. I didn't know I was a songwriter. I'm just, you know, throwing down stuff. So I went to New York. They thought it was a great song. They gave me Don Costa to be my arranger. He laughed when I told him about Stagley. <laughs> he said, are you going to put that on the back of this great song, You Need Love? I said, this is a great song. And I got on the piano and played it for him. And he laughed, he fell over the floor. Just write what I'm, just write the notes I'm telling you. And he did that, and Staggerly wound up. We tried for two months to make You Need Love a hit. Huh. It was a disc jockey from Spokane, Washington, called and said, You're on the wrong side. Staggerly is the hit. They turned it over. 
I think that same week they turned it over. It sold two hundred thousand. Wow! And it never stopped until it sold I, three I, and a half million. I know you see, Michael. Thanks to the DJs. That's right. It's all us. Hey, that's right. <laughs> and now uh, became a number one hit record. There's two versions of it, right? There's one that you tamed down a little bit, and I love both versions of Staggerly. You know, there's. I think did you record it? It was for Dick Clark. Dick Clark. He did not want to play it. We both was at ABC Paramount. Ah. And Staggerly shooting Billy was too much for his audience. <laughs> what do you think of the records today? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Dick Clark in his grave is. Oh man! Well, let's hear one of the. Which version do you want to hear? I've got them both. Uh, both here. Well, I'm I'm really with that old guy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> let's hear uh, Staggerly, a number one hit record from Lloyd Price. Back with more like per- Lloyd Price in a minute. And Rex is here too, right, Rex? You bet. All right, in a minute. The night was clear And the moon was yellow And the leaves came tumbling down I was standing on the corner When I heard my bulldog bark He was barking at the two men who were gambling in the dark funny as soon as this went on everybody looked at each other and uh, lloyd says oh, this is a remake and i said well when did you make it he said i don't remember <laughs> but we, we do have the originals let's fade this one out and let's hear the original <laughs> the night was clear yeah that's it and the moon was yellow and the leaves came tumbling down
All right, I want to. I got. I got to ask you. The the background vocals on that are perhaps the whitest thing <laughs> I've ever heard. I mean, White I, in a good way. Well, maybe not. I don't know. Well, you know who they are, Mike? They're the Ray Charles singers. Right. That's white. That's who they are. <laughs> and, and, but uh, that's a conscious choice by you, right? I mean, yeah. I, I didn't want the records to sound like New Orleans, you know, because everybody had jumped on that sound. I wanted to do something different. That's why I did You Need Love. And I uh, said, you know what? I may as well stay with this formula. And we'll see what happens. And after that, Fabian, Frankie Avalon, Connie Francis, Bobby Rydell, you heard these licks on every record that came out. <laughs> yes, they became a little hipper. They were trying to, yeah. to, to get something going. Yeah, it's funny how that, that, you're right, there is that weird little thing. Uh, so you get out of the Army, uh, things have changed in just those two years, and you are trying to like find a new spot to fit into the entertainment business, to the R&B scene. You move to Washington, D.C., uh, you start KRC Records, uh, am I right? And a That's publishing right. And it's your, uh, you've got this entrepreneurial, I mean, you keep describing yourself as a guy who doesn't know anything, and who keeps <laughs> walking, you know, what's this? I never heard of this. Uh, but you were always in the right place at the right time, it, it seems like. Uh, uh, and then uh, Just Because, huge hit in, in 57, which, tell me how you, how, where that song came from. When I was in the Army, I spoke to Art Roop from Tokyo. He said, we don't have nothing else on you we could put out. You don't have nothing in the can. So we don't know what we're going to do. We need to find another Lord of Miss Claudia or another Lloyd Price. Do you know of anybody like that? Well... I did. I had seen this kid in Montgomery, I mean, uh, Macon. Macon, Georgia. He jumped up on the stage doing an intermission and started hollering, good golly, Miss Molly, long time. You know, he just went crazy on the piano. I had never seen anything like that. I had never seen anybody, a black man with his head that high on his head. He had on a green suit, uh, a white shirt, a red tie, and bucks. Sounds just like Richard Penniman. Yeah. Uh, I said, and my brothers wanted to put him off the stage because they was all, I had four brothers. My older brothers was my guardians. And uh, they wanted to stop him from playing the piano. I said, no, let him play. So when he stopped, he said, I want to be like you. I said, well, (laughs) what do you mean you want to be like me? And he said, my name is Little Richard. I remembered him. And I told Art Root about him. Art Root said, how could we find him? I said, well, my baby brother has his address. Know how to get in touch with him. At that time, when he tried to find him, he was on the road with John Eldis because John Eldis had, had hand drive, and Little Richard was an opening act. They flew him into New Orleans and had bump Blackwell to record him, and the rest of it is history. Mm. I became not relevant at specialty, <laughs> And so that sent me on my way. They put all their publicity behind Little behind Richard. Behind Richard. Did, did, did they let you go? Well, actually, no, he didn't. When I asked to go, when I asked to go, he said, I'll call me back. So when I called him back, he said, I just can't let you go. Like, this is what Art Root told me. I just can't let you go like that because now we have made you a commodity. He said, I need $1,000 at least from you. Could you imagine that? <laughs> So I had to send him $1,000 before he released me. Wow. With that, all the money I had made him, I gave him Little Richard. Right. And just opened the door wide open. That's crazy. For him. 
You know, speaking a little Richard Lloyd, I wanted to ask you one of his uh, other influences was uh, uh, an artist is a big favorite here, uh, Escarita. Did you know Escarita? I knew Escarita well. Escarita uh-huh. from North Carolina looked just like Little Richard. Yeah, yeah, same flamboyant hair. And, yeah, uh, absolutely. They could have been sisters. <laughs> <laughs> so you saw Escarita perform. Must have been incredible. Oh, es- Escarita was amazing. I thought, you know, one side I thought she was a little better than Richard. Yeah. Because she had copied Richard down yeah. to the, I mean, to the note. Yeah. Was nothing short about it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's talk for a minute about those. You always hear those, the, those those days were the days of the caravan tours. You know, like there's 30 acts. They've taken a couple buses around. And, you know, like you said before, no one can buy food anywhere, you know. And, right. And they're doing three shows a day or ten shows a day or whatever. And everybody plays two or three songs and then gambles their money in the back. You know, that's like you hear some version of that all the time. Did well, you? that's that's almost correct. They gamble on the bus, you know, and somebody would win all the money all the time. But the caravan show started with Dick Clark. Right. A GMAC, who was the biggest agency at that time, had all of the acts and um, had Dick Clark. So they started this big show thing. Instead of having 10,000, we started having 30 and 40,000 in ballparks. Then wasn't that good for the act because the act value reduced it. Uh-huh. If you got 10 acts on the show, well, you only worth one-tenth of that value. That's why I never would do those shows, oldie but goodie shows and stuff like that. I did maybe three Dick Clark shows because I was with GAC. It was three black guys signed to GAC was Nat King Cole, or four, Sidney Poitier, Chuck Berry, and Lloyd Price. Uh. We was the only one really signed to the company. And they would be the promoters of the shows. Just like now, there's 360 contract they got in the show business right. where they control everything. Your the merchandise, radio. your T-shirts. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That started with Dick Clark. Uh, yeah, he was no dummy. He no. Was, uh, yeah. No, well, his fortune, I think, oh. is about $3 billion. Oh, mm. my God. And yeah. he was the $40 a week weatherman <laughs> in Philadelphia. <laughs> well, payola. You know, that's that's the, right. Yeah. Well, speaking of payola, I wanted to ask you one quick question about KRC Records and one of your business partners, a guy you knew as Shorty. Logan. Yeah. <laughs> now, he had, uh, the, it was the, the music biz back there was could be rough and tumble, right? That's right. And, and he had a way of negotiating. <laughs> well, he was a tough guy. He, um, he, uh, he, I, his thing was that I get paid correctly. Yeah. And let me give you a parable. When the Copa called me to work, the Copa Cabana, it was huge. They paid Bobby Darren 10000 a week, and they wanted to give me 10000 I mean, 3500 a week. And I'm the biggest thing in the country. So Logan didn't think that was right. He didn't think it was right with ABC, the way... I brought Ray Charles there. I brought uh, Curtis Mayfield and it, the uh, impressions over there. Just opened the door. Clarence Savant, the first black executive. I approved all of those guys going to ABC. So Logan thought I should have had an executive position because I built a company. They had Edie Gomez and Steve Lawrence. They had Rosemary Clooney and Paul Anka. Everything else I took. Mm. So Logan said he should, he should be fair. Why is it he can't get paid like Bobby Darren getting paid? Yeah. Why can't he get paid like Sinatra getting paid? And Sinatra had wrote, had did an interview down in uh, 
at the University of San Diego, one of the schools down there. And when they asked him which artist did he admire, he told him Lloyd Price. <laughs> he said, here's an all-around guy. Huh. Now, I, never, I was never paying any attention to that, Rex. Absolutely. Because I just wanted to do the music, do a great show, and make sure that everything turned out like I had heard it in my head. But... Uh, now, I had read, I don't know if it's apocryphal or not, that Shorty would show up with the Louisville Slugger. No, not true. <laughs> okay. Oh, you heard it here. Folks. But, I mean, those guys at the Copa, <coughs> the guys at the Copa Cabana weren't guys you wanted to mess around with Well, too I really much, didn't know nothing about that. I just wanted to get paid. Okay. You know, and uh, I knew the owner, because one night I went down to catch Nat Cole, and Nat Cole talked about this young kid who's knocking down I thought he was talking about anybody except me so he said ladies and gentlemen let's give Lloyd Price a nice round of applause I was almost fainting uh. in the copa <laughs> so, right. you, so you take your thousand dollars and you buy yourself out of your uh, contracted specialty and you move to ABC eventually and we got a couple of these records around here uh, the image is definitely you're the nice guy you know you're just the the american all-american boy sport shirt on <laughs> right. you yeah you were that's that's a cool shirt actually right there <laughs> you got you got a lot of product in your hair right you're smiling you you got, you got the the beautiful dinner jacket on right yeah you, it's a little bit like frank sinatra or uh you know and and the music changes it's more mainstream it's a lot of standards and it's like a huge band and like you said mostly like we ju like we just heard a lot of a, a mostly white orchestra right? that's right well this album here uh mr personality i don't know if you heard of Morris levy breakfast and barbecue oh moisha levy yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. this is where that was that party was so big count basie pat boone pat boone was doing his civvy show Patty, uh, Patty Page was there, and they all had done personality. The whole night, they sung personality. Oh, yeah. And so by the time I got on the stage, I was on my way to Jamaica to uh, a <laughs> Miss Universe something like I had to do, because personality was such a huge record. Uh, but there was, Rex, that party was so big, Morris Levy gave, that instead of putting shot glasses on the table, they put fifths of whatever anybody was drinking. <laughs> Just cut to the That's chase. That's how big the record business was. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so you became Mr. Personality. Uh, so, but, what? But, but you were consciously trying to expand your market, right? From, I'll just play in Louisiana and Florida, and where, to like, no, the whole world. I'm going to take over the world. On this trip right here, this cover that they took, the next week I was in Sydney, Australia, and there must have been 15,000 people at the airport. It had been, personality was the biggest record in the history of Australia. Uh -huh. And they only had 11 million people there. And every town we went to, like Brisbane and all the other little outs, it was like leaving here, going to California. Uh -huh. It was a, a, that long a flight to get to the next city. No people, but the country <laughs> twice the size of America. In 1960, my first trip to America. But I, w on that trip, I went to all the countries around the world playing this music. And what happened? The Bee Gees and the, uh, the Joe Cockers and the, the, uh, the Rolling Stones, all those groups. Sure. They were there. They were little kids, but they wanted to do that music. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Uh, so 
you come back, you start double L records, right? Right. My first question is, do you still own all the double L masters? I do. Is there a compilation out of the of all the double Yes, they got them in several different places. I have not seen it. But so. I just, on my new double L, I'm putting them all back in one place. So you'll see it real soon. So a lot I, of, I always think of Roy Tyson, Too Young to Sing the Blues. Oh, yeah, Roy Tyson <laughs> and Pookie Hudson. Yeah. Billy Guy, Baby Washington. Yeah, women. The Billy yeah. Guy one. Uh, Great. And uh, uh, Wilson Pickett, of course. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, and then I, I also noticed you, you got some records on Monument, which was a Nashville label, right? Well, Fred Foster was a good friend of mine. Fred Foster was the guy who took me to ABC. He came to my office in Washington D.C. He's the first guy that told me, Lloyd, I can get you a big advance. First time I'd ever heard it. Oh. He said, if you let ABC have just because, I'll get you a big advance. And you keep the publishing. I'd never heard that before. <laughs> That's it. Fred Foster. Yeah, he didn't get rich letting you keep the publishing. You know. the, but he was the guy that told me about publishing. He's the guy that told me about signing with BMI and another guy called Irving up at ABC. ABC taught me the record business. Uh. <laughs> yes. And they told me how to do the publishing, the blah, 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 blah. And... So, I wound up being a record man so, instead of the artist. <laughs> well, you, you know, Lloyd, listening uh, to you talk about your career, it never quite occurred to me the similarities your career has with Sam Cooke's. You know, you start a specialty, and then you mm. go to bigger labels and, and or reach much bigger audiences. Well, it never occurs to anybody. <laughs> but I to, my one of my girlfriends was Sam's first wife. Ah. When he was singing secular, I, would, he, I said, Sam, you should do this. We both was on specialty. Yeah. And Sam would come to all my shows. I would go to his church shows. He had them shouting in church like I had him shouting in Apollo. Yeah. I said, man, you should. And Mavis Staples, the same thing. One of my old girlfriends. I said, you should do this. And Aretha. I knew them all. They, uh, Irma Franklin lived at my house five years. Carolyn. They all, we, I knew them all. They all, did, they all was. You did a duet with Irma Franklin, didn't you? No, Logan did. Oh, uh, Logan. <laughs> yeah. Shorty. I know there's something on your Aretha list. was my girl for a minute. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's, that's amazing. Uh, and Mavis Staples was your girlfriend for a minute. That's right. She may be the best female singer ever. I, she really was. <laughs> yeah, she it. used she's, to. She's amazing. But they was really a Jesus people. Pop Staples, <laughs> Irma. Yeah. They was really a Jesus. No joking around. <laughs> I used to go to the house for Christmas. And. Uh, she said, Lord, how, 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 did, how did I do it? I said, just do it. Do, don't change nothing. Yeah. You don't have to lose your faith. Just switch. Yeah. <laughs> well, same thing happened to Sam Cook, right? He just Sam, Well, I told Sam. I said, Sam, you should do it. But Sam saw it. He saw me doing it. Uh. And he, he said, man, we was on the same record label. We, Sam and I were real good friends. He married one of my girlfriends. His, that, that lady made a big mistake when he died. She just kind of gave... Yes, yeah, she did. Yeah. It's their second wife. Can you imagine? Yeah, what but Dolores was his first Oh, okay. Wife. I didn't realize he was married twice. Yeah, yeah I just think of Sam owning some record labels like Sar and playing the Copa like yourself. Oh, amazing. Well, Alan Groove... I mean, Alan Klein. Alan Klein was my accountant. He did my first audit at ABC. Uh. I introduced him to Sam <laughs> Cook. He was... He, Died three billion dollars. <laughs> had the Rolling Stones, the Mamas and the Pop. Yeah. I knew all the music. I was the first guy. Alan Klein stole so everybody's all money, <laughs> all, all the people's money. Yeah. Uh, you, you also made a record in Muscle Shoals. I love Muscle Shoals. Right, right at the right time. With it. yeah, tell me what, what, what that was like. Well, I was 
right in the middle of doing stuff. I'd open the club in New York. I'd bought Birdland and put the, the turntable turn there. Yeah. Turntable records. <laughs> right. And I knew Florence Greenberg and Luther Dixon. So, uh, 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 I can't do it, this feeling. Yeah, yeah, hooked on feeling. Hooked on the feeling. Yeah. I love that it's song. A great record. So I saw Florence in an elevator. I said, you know what? Let me make that record over for you. And she said, good, I got a new A&R guy. So in the elevator. Yeah. <laughs> so we a went true to elevator Muscle pitch. Show. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> we up. went to Muscle Shows, and with our new A&R guy, which it was a white guy, John somebody, her son did most of the arrangements, and so that's how it happened. Huh. Funny. Uh, I, I love, maybe we'll play that. Okay, let's talk about J.A.D., another label. Jad. Which you ha- you are are one of the uh, initials in there. Uh, Let me tell you about Bob that, Bob Marley. Uh, Johnny Nash and I was in Jamaica. We had a house in Kingston. You just and had a house? Bob Marley just and for fun? Tosh. Yeah, just for fun house. We'd go down there, and when all the ladies got off the ship, you know, we showed them where to go. Okay. <laughs> it's like fun. <laughs> it was fun. Yeah. And, 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 and they could smoke reefer. It was not against the law. <laughs> Bob Marley would bring a 25-barrel of reefer to the house, and they all sat out in the yard, and they'd play this reggae stuff. You know, so I said, hey, man, that might be something. And Johnny Nash and, Johnny and Danny Sims put together Dad, uh, J- Jad Records. So I didn't want no part because I couldn't feel the beat. I couldn't feel that one and oh. three. You know, boom, boom. I couldn't feel it. So I tried to do a record with Clarence Savon and Mickey Stevenson, but it didn't work. I did one with Johnny Nash and Don, and, and Danny because I was busy with the club. I, I was done with record business. <laughs> so, uh, and then we used to send Bob Marley and Rita to go get coffee. It's wait out in the hall all day. They had your, the best job we had from them was runners. <laughs> and then uh, you were uh, just a little ahead of the uh, a little ahead of it in uh, uh, what's his name uh, that took Bob Marley from England. Uh, oh, Chris Blackwell. Chris Blackwell. Yeah. Chris Blackwell heard it. Yeah. And he took Bob. Well, the rest of it is history. Yeah. But Bob gave me <clears throat> all the distribution of Africa. Wow. Told me keep the money. He died 20 days later. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's such an amazing history of American R&B in Jamaica. Roscoe Gordon was beloved down there, and they, like yourself, growing up, would listen to WLAC out of Nashville. That, the radio airwaves would go down there, and that informed the ska and the rock steady and the reggae. And the sun bash. Yeah. And, uh, well, Claire Channel meant something then. You yeah. Know? You could hear the radio. All the way down to Jamaica. You could hear BLS, and you can hear him in Harlem. Yeah. But you could hear him in... <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Well, Clear Channel meant there was no other stations at that frequency anywhere. So they could just broadcast... I mean, uh, straight down 50, to Jamaica. 50,000 watts, yeah. yeah. Well, people do say what, what Rex just said, was that the, this kind of New Orleans beat, kind of just in the hot sun of Jamaica, got slowed down a little and, you know... Boom. That's right. Well, they had this sun, sun splash because of the... Uh, radio stations out of America, uh, WLAC, and they would come to Florida and have a sun. It was a big festival every year with Jamaicans listening to this music on Claire Channel stations. Yeah, those those were the days. Uh, so you go to Nigeria, right? It's the 70s. You're going to find yourself. Uh, I don't, tell me why you went there. What was the culture shock like? Well, what happened when uh, Nkrumah got his independence, 
I think in, uh, was it 57, the British give Ghana their independence. There was a black jockey in Philadelphia named Steve Bird told me that there was a ship from Ghana. I lived at Second and Locust that time in Philly, right on the water by Brookbinders, that big restaurant. Sure, there. yeah, I was just there. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he brought the captain to my house. And this was such a nice guy, you know, and I went on the ship and I ate some of the food. He had chicken and peanut sauce. I'd never chicken and peanuts. Are you saying you moved to Nigeria because the food? No, 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 no. What happened? After that, after the captain came there, I was invited to Washington to the ambassador's house. And I went to the ambassador's house. I had never seen nothing like black guy ring a bell. An army, another black guy (laughs) running out of the kitchen. (laughs) I said, wait a minute. Is this Africa? I gotta go. I gotta go. (laughs) <laughs> so, <laughs> so in, in 1968, I got real interested in Africa. The opportunity came almost 10 years, well, about seven years later, because Ali was a good friend of mine. I knew Ali from me when oh. he was 21 years old. When I would go to Louisville, he would always come and sit in my car. I had convertible Eldorados, and he loved them, and he wondered how I got all the foxes all the time. <laughs> I said, man, my hair done. I got pocket full of money. and I'm, House know. in Jamaica? Yeah. <laughs> wow. So <laughs> Ali and I became good friends. He come to New York. He stayed at my house. I had another good friend that Logan had int- introduced me to. His name was Don King. Oh, yeah. And he was a number guy in Cleveland. He got interested in boxing. So we, a little white girl had got raped in Cleveland. We did a... Uh, uh, a price for sight, because one of the, uh, that these guys had knocked out one of our eyes. Ugh. So we did a fundraiser for her at Don Ken's club. He had built this huge club, the house my band in Cleveland. You know, him and Logan was good friends. All the number guys, the ghetto guys, control Lotto. To tell you how big that was, you see what it is today. $500 billion, <coughs> million dollars. You know, these guys control that kind so of money. So that's where Don King made his money? From yeah, they was controlling. The numbers. I mean, huh. you, you go to the closet, they had closet folds, a <laughs> $100 bills. They need a bigger trunk. You had to hold the door, you know, with your shoulder <laughs> when you open it. I mean, it was amazing. So he... <laughs> you know, Lloyd, I also read somewhere that you had helped Don King sort of cultivate his look. Well, I created it. I created You created that, that image? Yeah, because he knew nothing about show business and nothing like that. He was a number guy. So he was a good friend of mine, him and his wife. And uh, when I got Ali to come to Cleveland do a charity thing for this little girl, well, he went crazy. He said, man, I want to be a f- I don't ever want to go back to jail. Make me big. Make me big in show business. So I started taking him around. Introduce- I introduced him to Aretha, Jared Butler, Ruth Bourne, every- Sammy Davis, everybody in show business. This is Don King. He's going to be the Messiah of boxing. He's going to be, <laughs> you know, just throwing it out there. And then when George Foreman got his eye cut, when we finally got to Zaire, uh, George Foreman got his eye cut. The last sparring day, uh, everybody had to leave because it was only there for a week. So Hank Swartz, who had video technique, you know, it all used to be closed circuit. Don King, we had made a deal with them. They were really the promoters. But they left because we couldn't have a fight for six weeks, so they wasn't going to stay down there. 
So who they left me and Don King down there. So I'm every day preaching, Don King is the promoter. Don <laughs> King is the man. He's the Messiah boxer. I got James Brown preaching. I got everybody preaching, Don King. And 40 years later, he controlled the fight business. Huh. Wow. And had one, one year, did 65 championship fights. Uh, All these different titles in division came from Don King. Well, if you've never seen that film, When We Were Kings, it's great. A great yeah. documentary. I produced that. Yeah, fantastic. Rumble and, in the Jungle. And a great soundtrack to that, too. Really fun uh, and really surprising. Just the Muhammad Ali is so, he's such a genius in so many ways. Muhammad Ali was just a great person. He was just such a good person. Did you, did you ever reflect on the fact that you were buddies with someone who is arguably was the most famous person in the world, on the planet? Well, I never thought about it because he never thought about it. Yeah. But I know when we went around the world, for example, and we was in Venezuela when George Foreman fought uh, Ken Norton. We went to that fight, Ali and I, and Don King. He went to pray. This is when he was just really becoming a Muslim. We decided to walk to the mosque. It was about two and a half miles. We started off with maybe 100 people from the Hilton Hotel. By the time we got to the mosque, there was 10,000 people. Parade, yeah. Uh, and in Istanbul, everywhere, Japan. Yeah. It was amazing how people, his name was better known than Jesus. He's the most famous man on the planet. Oh, yeah. Charismatic guy, yeah. Just nice, something. nice, 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 nice man. Pretty face. Yeah. <laughs> he was really worried about, oh, man, my face. I didn't get hit, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Doug Jones beat him, however, at the garden, at the old garden. I, that was the only fight I know we lost it. But that was three steps to the crown. He had Sonny Liston, Joe Frazier, and Doug Jones. Doug Jones was first. I wrote a song called Three Steps to the Crown. Had him recorded with Wilk Chamberlain. I still have the master. <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, let's go back to the turntable for a minute. This is 68, 69. It's right in Times time Square, right? Right. And... Big, Former site of Birdland, right? Yeah. Yeah. Big mm -hmm. nightclub. And, and because that area, it's always been like that, you know, all the agents and all people are always, you know, coming by and having lunch and having drinks. And uh, I think Ed Sullivan is rehearsing there, right? That's right. And you got the turntable label. Uh, and then Harold Logan comes to a, uh, an untimely end. W what was going on? Let me tell you what's happening. We had made a deal with Larry Spangler. Larry Spangler was a producer of Merv Griffin television show. And he had one other show. And I think Charlie Fox, uh, Charlie Wolf, all these was his producers. I had two other stores, whiskey stores in Inkster, Michigan. Of course you did. And uh, <laughs> Inkster, wow. A couple liquor stores just to throw off some <clears throat> little extra cash. And Larry Spangler thought I was smart. He said, here's what we'll do. Since this is an interracial club, because New York was messed up. It wasn't what people think it is. They didn't want the club on Broadway because it was young adults, young integrated adults, black and white. Whoever wanted to go could go there. I had built a studio in there. Let me tell you what it produced. It produced school in the, school, cool in the gang, it, the, uh, the uh, Commodores, just to name a few. George Benson, uh, Bunch of folks just come there just to work the, the turntable. George worked Monday nights for the door because he was different from Maxine Brown and the Coasters and King Curtis. 
we created one of the biggest competitions in music business on Broadway because we start taking the business from Basin Street East, from the Copa. These people were lined up around the corner like they did at the Apollo. Why? Because Wilson Pickett was there. The Coasters, Patti LaBelle was there. We lined them up around the corner. We was charging for a $3 bottle of champagne $30. I mean, <laughs> it was just crazy how people wanted to get in the turntable. I had a studio, a recording studio in there. I had the f disco lights. The stage came out, lit, had 365 lights in the stage with flashing. People could dance on the stage. Had a 16-piece band in there, both live and disco. Disco was just coming in because the Cheetah was next door, right there on Broadway. The Cheetah had just opened. And we was rolling. <laughs> so Larry Spangler said, you got Ed Sullivan rehearsing in here. You got the Martin Block band in here twice a week. Why don't you do a show for me alive? Have a Lloyd Price yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You can bring Big Joe Turner in here. You can bring Muddy Waters. Bring anybody in here. This is Broadway. So we'll call the show yesterday, today, and tomorrow because you'd always, you can always be current. So we had signed the deal with Larry. We had the short end of the deal, but it was good, 35%. But we, before the Hard Rock, the Planet Hollywood, all of those should have been turntables. That was the idea. Mm. Huh. And s the night we had the press conference, we had lights all around Broadway, just like they did in Hollywood, flashing up in the sky. I mean, it was huge. I heard a week before that, I was out in L.A. with Larry Spangler, Joey Bonner, who was a promotion man for Morris Levy, said, man, the word is out. They, you guys are going to get hit. Now, what is he talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. I write songs. You know, I hustle for a living. <laughs> so he said, no, the hit is out. Man, don't go back to New York because as soon as your foot hit the ground, at Kennedy, they're going to kill you. Because they were just, you were taking too much business away taking from... Taking too much business, no. yeah. Ugh. So... That's tough. We, that's... we had the press conference. Everything was fine. We had 378 press people in there that night. Larry Spangler said, all Associated Press is in here. He said, tomorrow your picture is going to be all over the world in the newspaper. Logan and I usually talked every night before we went. My mother and father was here in my apartment, so I was staying at a hotel there on 55th Street. I think it was called Manhattan and 7th Avenue, right across from the Carnegie Deli. I sat in there till about 7 o'clock in the morning because it was raining with my girlfriend. We talking about what a great night it was. So before I can go to sleep, I couldn't sleep. I guess my eyes had, I hadn't slept 30 minutes. It was 9 o'clock. Got a call from Bob Law, who was a disc jockey at WWRL, but he was our public relations man as well. He said, man, I opened the office, and Logan is laying by the water cooler. Well, Logan's office was here. My office was there. To get to the supply room, you had to go through my office to get to the water cooler. So it was somebody Logan knew very well. He was playing my new turntable and only record on the record player because the record player was in my room. We had big speakers. When I got there to 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 uh, uh, to well to tell them who Logan was identify identify I couldn't think of identify yeah. <laughs> uh, 
I saw exactly what happened. Logan had to know this person. He kept a pistol. His pistol was in his desk drawer. So he knew the person well. He was comfortable. And the guy knew the office. Asked him to get some water. So when he went to get some water, the guy followed him in there and shot him twice in the head. Oof. Right behind the right ear. And did they investigate this? Nobody has been found yet. This was in May 9th, 1969. Wow. But what so, happened? Liar Spangler disappeared. All the backers disappeared. The deal we had with, with Wall Street, gone. The deal fell apart. Yeah. Nobody showed up. I'll bet, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Backwards walking, yeah. That's. But you got into so... You're, I mean, you know, you just casually throw in. I got a couple liquor stores in <laughs> Michigan. But you yeah, had, What were they called, by the way? Do you remember? <laughs> yeah, they were called party stores. Party stores? Yes. They were was it like stores. Lloyd Price's party store? Or? No. Oh. I, you had to be a resident of Michigan. Uh, to have a license. So we took the license in that. And Ted Logan, Logan's brother, he was a principal of a school out there in that community, upstanding citizen. Perfect guy. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect front. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you got into uh, you build, building affordable housing and real estate. And, uh, you know, Rex was talking about the bowling balls and uh, touring the world and the icon foods and all these other things. Uh, I mean, was it. Was there a moment where you said, I've got to really diversify and start doing other things besides music? I mean... Yes, it was. I'll just need to go back a little piece. Sure. Uh, when I recorded Lord and Miss Claudia, there was Big Joe Turner, Roy Brown, Good Rock in the Night, Smiley Lewis. They had put me on a show with these people. And I was younger than any of them, but I was the star. So... I would hear people, bring out Lord and Miss Claudia, bring out Lloyd Price. The same thing happened to me with the Miracles. I was at the Apollo Theater uh -huh. when Smoke and the Miracles came out with Shop Around. Barry Gardy, who was a great friend of mine, gave me everybody. I had the Supremes before anybody had them on one of my shows. So they said, bring Smoke and the Miracles. Well, I heard it. I understood the change. Uh, understand the generational that's change. That's very smart of you. Yeah. <laughs> some, people, well, some people would not have got it. I've got this record by the Funky uh, Lloyd Price Orchestra, which is an interesting record. And and got, so you were you didn't stop. You didn't. You know, you were trying to get contemporary as time moved on, but uh, sometimes the audience just doesn't want to hear it. You know, they just. Well, that's right. They just want younger people, and that's just the. That's right. Even with this new record, we get great reports on it. Uh, this is rock and roll. But some people is still saying it ain't Stagger Lee. Well, it ain't supposed to be Stagger Lee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they want the same thing over and over. Uh, you know, take a look at that, right? Let's hear something. I want to play my favorite uh, my favorite track on this do you one. Have, do you have the... Uh, I got it. Yeah, it's, it's queued up and ready to go. Oh, we uh, got it. You got to write it? Oh, yeah. okay. Uh, tell, did you write this song? Because there's no writing credits on this CD. I wrote Smoke, I'm Getting Over You. And I think it was enough, but I, I, I want we, we we recorded 27 songs. Oh, and that that was a mistake on the guy who edited this. We should have had that on there to get 10. But I didn't want to take my hand off the bass. That's why I did Blueberry Hill, and I'm walking, and Jimmy Reed. A few covers on here. Yeah, yeah. I want to keep the bass and just 
moving some com- contemporary stuff. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let's hear let's hear about this. Uh, just reminding people that uh, the great Lloyd Price is our guest, and LaudieMissClaudie.com or LloydPriceMusic.com, you can buy a copy of this record. It's a brand new record called This Is Rock and Roll, and I really like this track, and I, I really do think this is a number one hit. We'll talk more with Lloyd right after this. Just what am I fighting for? Uh, 
is <laughs> that's brand new from Lloyd Price. The album's called "This Is Rock and Roll," and like I said, you can get it. Uh, get your copy over at uh, Lloyd Price Music. It's a great song, very catchy, uh, totally sounds, you know, reverent to some older music, has a 70s vibe kind of, but sounds very contemporary. Not easy to do that. Uh, you're 84 years old too, right? Right. <laughs> and bowling every day. Bowl every day. And I need to tell you, Michael, about uh, December 1st, we're at the cutting room. Yeah, back to the cutting room where one of the tracks on this CD was recorded, right? That's right. Yeah. So This uh, is Rock and Roll was recorded there. I, I read in the liner notes, you, you were at some club, seen somebody, you saw some band, and you thought, this is the band for me, and you've made them your band now. Stuff. Stuff. They, they recorded most of the records, Garden Edwards. And they're going to back you up at the cutting room? Well, most of the musicians, that we're going to have a different kind of a setup this time because I'm integrating... These music, this music with a lot of the old music. Uh. So we're going to have a great night. We're going to do a lot of rehearsing, and it's going to be right there. When is that going to be? It's going to be December 1st. December 1st. That's coming up right around the corner. It's so. just around the corner, yeah, yes. yes. Great. Ah, Well, you like we were just talking during the break, you don't play that much. You know, I, I, I'm, I would guess that uh, more offers come your way than you do gigs. So uh, it's a rare time to, to go see Lloyd Price uh, you know, uh, at the cutting room, December 1st. Uh, you're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Is that a big deal? Because the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is... Flawed. It's flawed, yeah. It's <laughs> flawed, yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I think the New York Times about 15 years ago interviewed me about the Hall of Fame, and I told them how I felt. I think if you, if the requirements, uh, and you meet the requirements, then you should be have an equal-sized head in the Hall of Fame. If you're not equal with the requirements, then you shouldn't even be there. But then they got some artists in there, got whole floors, <laughs> statues bigger than Miss Liberty, and then the others just got their names signed on the wall. Uh. And that that really, really, I mean, that pissed me off. Excuse the expression. No, yeah, I understand. Yeah. I'm still pissed off. There's no rhyme or reason it seems to it. There's no, they can't say why one guy and why not another guy. That's right. Yeah. All the heads at least should be even. Yeah. And no matter what you do for sponsorship or whatever, but there should be a room where all the heads are even. Hmm. That's why you're there. Yeah, these are the people. Yeah, That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, sure, you are one of the links of the chain of rock and roll. Without you, you can follow uh, people that you influence and people that those people influence, and it's, it goes down the line. But sometimes it's hard to look so far back for some people. But, yeah, those the early few people are, are so important. Well, the first three people were scheduled to go in there was Lloyd Price, Fats Domino, and I think Ruth Brown. We were the first scheduled to go. I went in 10 years later. <laughs> or maybe 50. I went in 98. I should have went in when they opened the doors. Because all the papers, just about in America, had, had that so. Who would be the first ones in all yeah. of that? We only got a few minutes. I want to tell you, Chuck Berry just passed away. Did you cross paths with him? Oh, Chuck was a good friend of mine. We worked a lot. Uh, He's crazy guy, right? I mean, he was. We didn't <laughs> find him in the ceiling, down looking down in the ladies' room. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> yeah, you got to. He do was what a wild guy. Yeah, he sure but was. then he come on the stage and 
He was amazing. He was the best. Yeah, he was. I mean, there was nobody like him in a lot of ways. Yeah. Can you can you look back and reflect on some other performers who were just uh, so dynamic that just blew you away when you saw them? James Brown. Yeah. James Brown was just an amazing artist. Yeah. You know, and then newer than James, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Big stage presence. And I got my socks knocked off with Elton John. I went huh. to catch Elton, and man, he, 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 he really earned his name. So you just, I'm going to go see Elton John? I just, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you got big ears, right? Oh, <laughs> you know, you like you like all kinds of music. Oh yeah, he, yeah, he, absolutely. So yeah. what, what do you, yeah. you if you you're going to drive home today? You live an hour away. What are you going to listen to? Probably uh, this is rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> Available now, folks. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. <laughs> but what, what else do you do? You listen to music usually or all day or just on the radio or what, what's your? You know the new music. I like it, but it's all the. I don't hear the creativity. I just hear lyrics. And I don't like most of the lyrics I hear. Yeah. So I listen to, if there's a string thing on, I listen to that. Because if you're listening to creativity, you can be creative. Hmm. And that's what I listen to. You mentioned girls. You mentioned uh, you mentioned girlfriends, and you mentioned kids at one point. What what I don't know about your family life. What did you What did you make? I have three daughters and two sons living right now. I had one son got killed in Detroit oh, about 20 years ago. He was a soldier and one of his best buddies. And he had got hold of that crack or whatever. And it was, he was home on leave and got in a fight with his best buddy and he sh- stabbed him. Oh my oh. God. And my third wife, Jacqueline, we're together. You know, you gotta practice this. <laughs> you gonna get it right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think, I don't know if I got it right, but we've been married 22 years. Oh, okay, that's pretty good, yeah. So that's longer than any. So I think maybe I'm, I'm almost there. <laughs> <laughs> you got it right. <laughs> and so, and so you, you got, uh, so you still got two, two sons and three, three daughters and two sons, is that right? Yes, right. Oh, and that's nice. Three dogs. Three dogs. Yeah. It's a big thing. <laughs> do, do they all live around here? No, 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 no. Uh, my, I have a son and a daughter in, uh, in uh, Atlanta, son and a daughter in, uh, in Maryland. And I got a daughter in Detroit. Hmm. Uh, but, you know, Lloyd, I'm a dog guy. I got to get the dog names. What were your dog names? Sure. Oh, uh, Max, uh, Freedom, and Sarah. Sarah's a little mini pincher. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's go back for a second to the book, Some Dumb Honky. Uh, you're, you were so, like, I don't know, scarred is sort of the right word by your childhood experiences that I think you never, you had real mixed feelings about ever setting foot in Kenner, Louisiana again. Is that right? Well, you know what? I've been down there a few times. It's nice down there now. You know, I got a street named after me down there now. And on the street I was, I grew up on. It's now Lloyd Price Avenue. Your house isn't there. I can't attend. No, the airport. The airport bought all of that land because it's, it's expanding. We was right by the airport, which the what used to be called the bad areas. Now it's the good areas. Uh. It's the high price areas now. But that house is gone. But Lloyd Price Avenue is uh, is still there. And my book was about that feeling I had back during that time. And we're all our cousins. There's no way that the people from the from uh, the Plymouth Rock and in Boston 
can have 350 million population without a mix. So there's 19 or 22 different denominations of black people. Put them all in the room. You won't find nobody the same color. And if you went to Africa, you put 20 in a room, they're all the same color. Uh, huh. so yeah. They're American, yeah. They're, yeah. The melting pot. That's right. <laughs> this well, is America. Well, I'll tell you just uh, about, just we got a minute, but about that book, you know, right, reading about one man's experience is a, is a, was, for me, a really effective way to get a window onto the, the problem or where we were, where we're going, where we hopefully are going. I don't know these days. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes it's easier to get the lesson from one guy's experience than from somebody writing about this hypothetical idea of the problem. So, uh, yeah, it really worked for me. Really. Well, the truth is, Michael, we all are cloned. We was oh, 99% the yeah. same, yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's true, yes. Absolutely. But some people don't get that message. <laughs> well, Lloyd, I have to say, I don't want to sound too much like your, your old pal Don King, but uh, when you look back in your life and uh, all the amazing people that are in your orbit, it's like you have led one of the most remarkable lives and only in America. Yeah. Well, I thank you, Rex, for saying that. It can only happen in America. This is the greatest country on earth. I really found that out when I start going, you know, to Europe and right. to Africa and all those places. Africa would be real tough for me, yet I love it. But if you're not one of the major tribes, you are in trouble. Yeah. I mean, real trouble. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Boy. All right. Uh, Lloyd Price. It's been great. Uh, this has been so much fun. You're welcome anytime. You can come back tomorrow. <laughs> back bring, bring the cookies, though. <laughs> bring okay. me a bowling ball. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want to re uh, remind folks that LloydPriceMusic.com is a website or LaudyMissClaudy.com uh, for information about Lloyd and all the stuff you're into. And uh, December 1st at the Cutting Room here in New York City. And the new record is called This Is Rock and Roll, and uh, folks can pick up a copy. Uh, I'm happy you're still around. I really am. Well, I thank you so much, Michael, and thank you for having me. Thank you, and thank you, Rex. <laughs> thank you, you Rex. Been a guest. <laughs> let, let me remind folks, it's WFMU East Orange, WMFU in Mount Hope, 91.9 FM in New York City and in Rockland County and all over the world at WFMU.org. Folks, stand by. Rex is next. Mm -hmm.